0: What's up? Welcome to the Confluence DC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week, we had on Ali Jamal of First Check Ventures. First Check is one of the largest, most active syndicates on AngelList, and Ali is the founder and sole member of the team. Since launching in July of 2020, the group has already invested in 25-plus companies from around the world. In this talk, we discuss developing a product mindset and using that skill set to support portfolio companies, leveraging a massive syndicate LP base that can offer more value than traditional funds, and some thoughts around the massive influx of new syndicate leads, rolling funds, and new forms of capital. Cool. So, Ali, we like to start these talks just by learning more about you and your background. If you could, in a couple minutes or less, who is Ali Jamal and how did you get to where you are today?
1: Sure. Thanks, Clay, for having me. So, I'm based in Mexico City, but I originally grew up in the Midwest. I did my undergrad and master's at Stanford, and then I started my career as a vessel banker in New York. I did uh, M&A for three years, and then moved back to the Valley. I worked as a data scientist for, for three years and then basically since 2013 i've been in product and in mobile and in growth i was a growth product manager at zynga the mobile gaming company i then went to competitors called rock U and helped build them from 40 people up to 400 and then in 2017 i got recruited by agoda i moved to bangkok thailand to lead marketing innovation for them i led their display marketing their mobile growth and then I ended up all leading all their special projects and new initiatives. And that ended up to me basically becoming their marketing head for, for China and joining their China executive team. I did that for a couple of years. And then in 2019 I uh, moved to Bogota, Colombia to lead performance marketing for Rappi. I ended up having a large team across all of Latam doing acquisition and, and retention marketing. And then End of 2019, I got recruited by Clip. I've moved to Mexico City in January of 2020. Clip is Mexico's largest fintech. We're actually Mexico's first fintech unicorn, and I lead their growth and performance marketing teams. So on the growth side, I've got product managers, designers, data scientists, all structured squads across the customer lifecycle. On the marketing side, I have teams that run all of our paid and unpaid user acquisition. I also have teams that do all of our ICO and organic uh, traffic as well. And then on the side, I've been an angel investor for for about 15 years. You know, made my first investments in front of startups, but over the last four or five, it's kind of picked up into a more serious hobby and launched First Check Ventures, which is an angel syndicate last July. And and I've been able to grow that over the last year and, and make you know, several investments kind of across the globe, which has been really...
0: Yeah, let's talk more about First Check. So I'm back of First Check right now. I love seeing that deal flow come through my inbox. I'd love to just learn a little bit more about initial thesis of the fund or the syndicate, sorry, and then how that's changed over the past year.
1: Yeah. So from a high level, I've been living abroad for five years. So I felt like a lot of these early stage startups in emerging markets are kind of being ignored by, by a lot of the larger vcs at the same time i saw a lot of companies actually become unicorns out of it. right so when you look at, at southeast asia you have the gojeks and the grabs when you look at lan you have the new banks and and the Rappies. you know even Africa with jumia so i felt like there was a lot of stuff happening that was just kind of being ignored and there weren't as many people looking or or, or thinking about these markets but there's still a huge potential in them. And, and so the idea was, you know, finding some of these early stage startups globally that had the potential to, you know, become huge and, and trying to get in very early and with, you know, my Valley and global experience and especially kind of with the growth and, and product stuff that I can bring to the table, but you know, more importantly, the syndicate as a whole uh, could bring to the table really trying to add a lot of value to these early stage startups. We have great people in my syndicate, you know, not just you, although you're, you're a great member, but you know, we have people from kind of all the major companies in the Valley. I have friends of mine from, from Stanford, the people that work with me at places like Zynga or Gota or Rappi. So there's this huge, powerful network of people that, that can be extremely helpful um, with introductions, with, with thought, and really wanting to make that impact. And, and being that first check, being that early supporter, I felt like that's when you can shape the, the biggest impact for these companies. And, and you know also, I think it has the most potential upside. So it kind of made sense on both sides. So that was kind of the initial thesis, and, and that's kind of continued to be what I'm seeing. And I think one of the things that, that's been interesting is most of, of the syndicates tend to really rely on outside signals and they need to have some strong thing named VC and they're trying to do a little bit later stage deals. I've really been able to, to get a lot of interest, I think, I think in pre-seed and in-seed deals, even without you know a lead VC because of the fact that they're in these kind of interesting markets that that's, you, know, you might not find people coming in at that level, but they might come in in six months or a year. And so we're seeing a lot of interesting markups across our portfolio for companies that we invested in six months ago that I've now hit that point where a larger seed investor can come in.
0: That's awesome. you kind of alluding to this in your last answer, but when you compare first check to other groups, the number of people backing you stands out. There's one thing just looking at a high level. I think last time I checked it was around 1800 LPs, 750 unique LPs have invested in the last 12 months how have you managed to attract so many high quality backers and how have you leveraged this massive backer list to support the companies you invest in?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I, I started out by reaching out to almost everybody I knew and then reaching out again. And then, you know, sometimes a third or fourth time until people, until people ended up joining. So part of it was just kind of my own initial massive outreach. And then, you know, I think, you know it kind of became more of a viral thing where, where you know, people got into a really cool deal they would share about investing in, in a company or, or whatever on linkedin or you would just talk with their friends and their friends would hear about it you know from, from a few different times and, uh, and i think one of the coolest things i had a lot of people who weren't angel investors before who have now become extremely passionate about it um, you know and people that have gone from not having made an angel investment at all you know, last year or, or before last year, now having made, you know, 10, 12, 15 investments in the last uh, six months or eight months. So you know, I think that that's been a, a big thing for me is really trying to introduce more more first-time angels and, and really getting people to look at this as a as a asset class, especially there's so many people that I know that worked in tech, you know, that were just never invited to, to the, you know, angel investor table, right? So if you're, in being able to show them some of the opportunities that I'm seeing, and obviously, you know, we might not be able to write the 100K check individually, but if we pool our resources together, these people that have this great tech background are really able to understand the products that are working and, and add a lot of value and insight to them as well. So I think it's been really, really cool.
0: That's great. That's great. I guess switching gears a bit, but you have an extensive background just in building and shaping products. What's been the biggest advantage of this developed skill set as an investor, whether it's through evaluating companies, helping them scale up on their next phase of growth? I'm um, interested in what the how you've leveraged that background as a as an investor.
1: Yeah, I think it's been valuable kind of across the board. So it's definitely been valuable in helping to understand customers, helping to understand uh, you know what their retention metrics are, what their growth metrics are, um, how easy it's going to be for these companies to scale. Also just walking the founders through some of the basic uh, product and and growth techniques about their user journey and where they might want to focus on improvement, you know, especially as they're building out that next level. So so I think it's been a lot of stuff on the product side, but also just a lot of stuff on the growth side and, and being able to, help out with, uh, with with how to think about marketing and how to think about growing the product then also a lot of the help has been I think on the advisory side at least on on HR and hiring you know obviously I can't be uh, a CMO for, for all of my portfolio companies but I can help with with their interview process on a product or, or the marketing side and, and kind of help them think about what kind of people they want to hire and why they might want to hire uh, a person with experience in this versus a person with experience in that it
0: totally makes sense it totally makes. Sense. i mean i think it's just a really valuable skill set to bring to the table i mean we ask the same question to a lot of other investors of like, how do they add value beyond the check and i think that's really tangible skill set you can bring to each company you work with all right so moving on next question we have again we asked this same question to a lot of other solo gps but what are some of the ways that you delegate responsibilities whether it's writing memos Inviting LPs to deals, doing Q&A sessions, et cetera, in order to continue to move fast as a end-
1: Yeah, so I haven't really been delegating. i have actually kind of like the fact that I haven't been delegating. You know, for for me personally, I, I want to be involved uh, across these different processes. I want to get to know my LPs. I'm, I'm very involved with the portfolio companies. I try not to be, uh, or at least you know, when I'm here to know them, and when we're thinking about making an investment, I try to be as helpful as possible. So. I've found that, uh, you know, if I'm getting that intermittent interaction with the founders, then I'm usually the best person to write the memo. And I, I tend to make my memos more personal. I think that then other people, because it's not just a, you know, blank company at that point, right? It's my interpretation of what this company is and, and trying to share my, my reason or thesis for investing. And each time it might be, you know, slightly different reason, or something else that I saw, and, and so kind of giving people more of the context about why I'm so excited by by these companies, I think, is important.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's different than the answer we've heard from some others that have just hired on or just brought on people part time to kind of help scale some of their workload. But I do like the piece of just making it personal, interacting with the founders, and doing the right of yourself. I mean, I think that signals a lot of the conviction that you have in them. Last question here from just the core questions before we dive into the quick fire, but from your vantage point, are there too many syndicates rolling funds, just new forms of capital available right now and why?
1: So there's still, there's still, you know, great potential startups that are being missed. So I don't know if there's enough, you know, syndicates or rolling funds or, or any of these forms of capital, I do think, you know, I think one thing to think about is that it's probably very easy to set up a syndicate and very easy to set up a rolling fund. And, and, and so you don't necessarily know what kind of support you're really going to get. You know, if people haven't done a deal before, they don't always know what goes into it. And, and so, you know, I, I think it's there's, there's something to be a little bit wary of about a first time first time you know syndicate leader and myself. You know, included in that, right? Like I, I made some, you know, initial mistakes or, or or you know made some decisions early that that you know if I'd had more experience I might not have done. And so I think that that's probably the bigger concern. And it's not that there's too many of them, but there there's ones that aren't as experienced that that don't know all the all the tips and, and tricks and aren't asking for help. And I think that that's something to keep in mind that there's a great pool of, of people that have done this before and, and you know, we're all, we're all willing to help. Cause we're also looking for great deals. They want to get it involved in great deals. And, and so, you know, ask, feel free to reach out and ask, you know, other syndicates that you're a part of, where you feel like there might be a um, thesis match, you know, for help or, or for support because you know, like the more, the more syndicate leads we have out there, the more, Opportunities there are, right? And I like to tell people, like, look, I don't care if, or, or I care, but like, if I if I end up investing in the next Uber, it doesn't really matter if it came from my syndicate or if it came from somebody else out there who looked for it and found it, right? Like when you have something that has that dramatic shift of of a return, like we need more people out there trying to find those sorts of companies, trying to find that sort of potential, just the way power laws work, the the you know, potential with these things is so great that the more people we have out there looking for it, I think the more chance we have.
0: Couldn't agree more. And I think uh, we could continue this conversation on for a while offline. I mean, running is to get ourselves. I feel like there's so many things we could learn. Like you've already done all the hard work of learning this stuff. I mean, we'd love to just pick your brain and figure out best ways to scale this thing going forward. But that was great. So that wraps up core questions. We'll move on to quick fire. So we do these at the end. Uh, We've got five sentences, sorry, five questions meant to be answered in two sentences or less. First one we have is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice?
1: I think a lot of times people get told to raise for two or three years of of run rate. And this is the cheapest your company's ever gonna be. So don't raise for two or three years. You should raise less and, and raise more frequently. It's much faster to raise these days, especially with tools like you know syndicates and rolling funds. You can get a check in in a matter of days or weeks if you're doing right right if you're if you have good numbers. so I would make the bet on yourself, uh, raise less and raise more frequently.
0: I like that I like that a lot in the last year, what new belief behavior habit has most improved your life?
1: you know I think that the biggest thing has just been like getting on the call with, with, with most people. I think that uh, a lot of people in, in general, right, are very kind of restrictive or guarded about their time. And, and you know, I get that, but I'm, I'm of the mindset that you never kind of know where where synergies might come from or where where great things might happen. So, um, you know, I'm of the belief that it, it makes sense to kind of just say yes and then hop on and, and see what happens. So kind of having that, uh, you know, improv mindset of yes, End and, and seeing seeing where it takes you um, you know has always kind of been a part of my life but even now more so when I'm looking at these companies and, and talking to these people where before I might have been a little bit more guarded with my time on it I think it's, it's been a huge huge benefit to hop on and hear more and, and you start to you, know, you start to really see the difference between you know a great company and a good company and uh, a mediocre company it makes it that much quicker or when you see a great one to pull the trigger and invest.
0: Yeah. I heard someone reframe just taking every meeting you can, just just maximizing your surface area. It's kind of like a good framework for me to think about it. But yeah, I've had the same experience. It's like you, you would never really know where opportunity lies unless you say yes to, to these meetings. So I agree with that. Next one, aside from having to say no all the time, what's the worst part about venture?
1: I think not knowing if you're actually good at this, this is really weird. Like, I think I'm good at it. Like I have some great paper returns, but they're all on paper. Uh, you know, my portfolio companies have all gave positive, you know, comments and, and I've been helping them out a lot. But you know, maybe it's one of those things where I'm great at helping them from you know zero to one or from you know one to one to ten. But am I, you know, the the person that could continue to help them grow from ten to a thousand or a hundred thousand or whatever, you know, and, and without Actually, seeing their returns, or or, or whatever, so much of the stuff is just on paper. It's hard to really know how how good you are, or you know, what I should get better at, right? So some of these companies where they haven't had an up round, yeah, you know, and I have had, had other companies that have. It's like easy to start, you know, being just to, to think that there's something wrong, but you know, of course they haven't had an up It's only been six months or nine months, right? So so I think it's one of those things that it's hard to really figure out if you're, if you're doing well or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've heard that same answer from a couple other people. I mean, it's frustrating, especially when you're early on in your career, you just, I mean, you're making all these bets, like doing all this diligence on companies and like forming these views of the world that you just have no idea if they're going to be right or wrong. Like you own in five, seven, 10 years, but yeah, it's kind of frustrating. Okay. So two more questions here. First one is best piece of feedback or advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture.
1: So I think one of the things that's really important to be a VC is having operating experience. I think it really helps you add value to the startups more than just money, right? Like that was one of the questions you asked before is what do you do besides just money? And and, and I think like I have a lot of ops and, and, and product and growth experience. So that's what I'm bringing to the table. And so for other junior people, I think it's good to keep on on building out your venture portfolio, like could to do angel investments on the side. But I don't think you should be a young person and have your dream of being in VC. I think your dream should be of, of helping the startup ecosystem and figuring out how that happens. And that could be through VC. That could be working in, in product or ops, right? There, there's a lot of other ways that you can help out. And, and so if you really want to you know, uh, end up you know, being in VC, I think you need to try to help the ecosystem as much as you can, and that'll lead to positive things coming out of it.
0: Totally agree again. I love that. Last question we got, who is a mentor of yours that you'd want to give credit to?
1: Had a bunch, you know, there's been a lot of great people who've kind of taught me all along the way about, you know, product and growth and just how to navigate this life and then also on on the the syndicate side right so one of the ways that i learned is is i was in syndicates over the last five six years making my own personal investments you know reading through other people's memos reading through how they approach the world understanding where my view of the world was the same or was different and why um you know and then a lot of them were actually helpful and were offered to you know hop on calls with me or, or understand what I was looking at and kind of give me feedback. So there's been a lot of, of really amazing people that have helped me throughout my career. And, and I, I want to kind of thank all of them. And I feel like if I just started naming people, I'm sure I'd leave somebody off. And, but but you know, there's a lot of great people out there and I really appreciate everybody.
0: Cool. Well, cool, man. That wraps it up for me. I think you answered all those questions. Great. I like having concise episodes that are really impactful and Filled with tactical advice i think you did just that well awesome ollie again really appreciate you taking time and looking forward to uh, sharing this with everybody this coming week Huge thanks again to Ali for coming on this week, and we hope that each of you were able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Ali, we've linked his social info within the description below, and you can also find his contact info within the Confluence VC directory. For next steps, if you're an investor and have not already signed up to join, we encourage you to check out our website at www.confluence.vc to submit your info to become a member. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to reach out directly either to Tyler at tyler at gpv.com or myself at clay at Hope to hear from you all soon.